Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Are you ready for the message? The title of my uh, message today is A Church That Follows, A Church That Follows. We've been in this series for a few months now. We're going to finish in the middle of November. I've got a couple more ones uh, left. And the big thought is simply this. We do not want to be a church that grosses God out. In Revelation, there are churches that make God puke. In, church, uh, in, in Revelation, there are churches where God says, I'm done, I'm going to remove my lampstand. There are churches, he says, that are dead churches. You're not even alive. You present your life, but you're a dead church. Oh, I pray that Mission Church would be alive. Pray Mission Church would please God. And so we're searching the scriptures, uh, looking at biblical truths that we, if we follow these, we would please God and be a church that God smiles on. And not only smiles on, but does, it doesn't remove his lampstand, but doubles down on his presence. Does that sound good? Okay, here we go. Matthew 4, Matthew 4. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, uh, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Can I encourage you? There are some things that you need to leave at God's altar today. There are some things when God calls you, just drop it immediately. Don't argue about it. Just release it. Come on now. There's a freedom in the house today. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in the boat with their uh, father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and father behind. Stop. Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. We thank you that your promises show us that we're not supposed to go from problem to problem, but from glory to glory. So God, we say yes to your promises that are yes and amen. God, I pray that you'd speak to us through your scriptures today. God, I pray that I would get out of the way, that my words fall to the floor, and God, your words are sore. Oh God, we ask that you would meet us here today in a tangible way, that we would literally encounter your presence. God, that when scripture is read, when prophetic uh, uh, um, unction is spoke, God, that it would uh, literally break chains, break bondage, break unhealthy rhythms, and create kingdom rhythms. God, we need you, we need you. And everybody said? Are you teachable today? Are you teachable? Are you still teachable? Jesus, the great teacher, wants to teach you today. Are you still following Jesus? Jesus, the great leader, wants to lead you today. Are you still hungry? The great supplier wants to fill you today. Are you still desperate? The Savior wants to save you today. Are you still a citizen of heaven? The great king wants to rule and reign in your life today. Are you still moldable? The great potter wants to mold you today. Are you still sick? Jesus, the great healer, wants to heal you today. Are you in bondage? Jesus, the great deliverer, wants to free you today. Are you still a lost son and daughter? The father wants to run to you, clothe you, kiss you, redeem you, and celebrate you coming home today. To the self-righteous, I want to talk to you real quick. You prescribed works and religion to heal the sickness of your soul. All it's done is turned you into a religious addict. You go back to works like an addict goes back to a needle to soothe their shame, to cover what is broken for minutes, which God could cover for eternity with his blood. To the selfish, you prescribe more money and things to soothe your soul. You are drowning yourself in stuff. The very thing you think is saving you is drowning you. The house, the car, the money, you think it's a gift, but because you've made it an idol, it has become like a python, and it's tightening its grip on your life, choking out the very things that would satisfy your soul. The Savior throws out his hand today to say, give away all that you have and follow me. Will you be like Abraham, joyfully giving up Isaac, or will you be like the rich young, young rich man and walk away sad? To the self-centered, you prescribe more social media and attention to soothe your soul. There are not enough likes, comments to satisfy the flesh. All it's done is made you more unlikable. To the self-indulgent, you have prescribed pleasure to soothe your soul. Food, lust, drugs are your choice to numb the pain only God can heal. 
Hear the voice of the Lord this morning in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who weary and burdened, and I will give you a rest. Can I get an amen for that? To the self-righteous, I'm here to prescribe the robe of Christ. To the selfish, I'm here to prescribe the generosity of Christ, forsaking all, surrendering all. To the self-centered, I'm here to prescribe a bowl and a rag and to tell you to start washing feet and become a servant. Watch what happens to your soul and it will get healthy. To the self-indulgent, I'm here to prescribe the cross of Christ. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Feelings must stop driving the car of your life. Christ must take the wheel. Jesus wants to free you today. Stop. 20 plus times in the Bible, you'll see Jesus say, come follow me, come follow me. It is not a condemnation uh, message. It is an invitation to leave all the other things that you have clinged on to. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to them, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 19, 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be a perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Stop. I'm concerned too many Christians profess to be Christians, but the problem is they don't act like Christ. They don't love like Christ, live like Christ, serve like Christ, forgive like Christ. They don't do anything like Christ, but they profess to be Christians. I'm concerned too many Christians have made up their own God, a God who votes like them, loves like them, hates like them, fights like them. This is not the God of the Bible. This is an idol you've made in your own image and steals your life. You must go back to the word of God and see you are made in his image, and only then will you understand that you are a lost sinner in need of a savior. Thomas Jefferson's a uh, famous uh, president, famous uh, you know, person in history where uh, he founded University of Virginia, Military Academy, of course, the Declaration of Independence, a lot of great things um, Thomas Jefferson did for our nation. But there's one thing that I find fascinating. Thomas Jefferson uh, wanted to create a new New Testament. And so he would go through the New Testament and he ripped out pages that he didn't agree with. He left himself with 84 pages in the New Testament. And here's what I've came to the conclusion about. This thing will change you or you will change it. This thing will cut you or you will cut it. I've read books that inspired me, but there's only one book that transformed me. I've read books that have educated me, but only one book that's renewed my mind. We must fall in love with the Word of God. And I want to encourage you today. The Word of God is for you. Uh, for the believer that says, I don't really pray, it's not a big deal. I don't really read my Word, it's not really a big deal. I don't really go to church, it's not a big deal. I'm here to tell you, it's a big deal. I'm concerned too many Christians don't understand what it means to say I'm a Christian. They say they are Christians, but they do not follow Christ. It's like saying I'm a Niners fan, but I wear a Seahawks jersey and I only watch Seahawks games. <laughs> to say you're a Christ follower, not follow Christ, is like saying you're a runner, but all you do is watch Netflix and eat food. To say you're a Christian and you follow Christ is like saying sometimes, hey, if, let's use me as an example. What if I told you, hey, I'm a professional bodybuilder. I've been a professional bodybuilder for 20 years. You would start saying to yourself, well, you don't look like a professional bodybuilder. If some of you work out at my gym. You would say, you don't work out like a professional bodybuilder. Some of you have been uh, to lunch with me. You'd definitely say, you don't eat like a professional bodybuilder. And the reality is, if you ever uh, went on vacation and saw me swimming at the beach, you'd say, you definitely aren't a professional bodybuilder. Now, when it comes to saying I'm a Christ follower, and then I see how you live your day and steward your time and your resources and, and how you treat people, I would say, I've seen how you treat people. I don't think you know what it means to be a Christ follower. I've seen how you student resources. I don't know if you know what it means to be a Christ follower. And my hope today is as we 
Look at the scriptures that when I say a church that follows God, it is not this building. It's if we have a group of people that actually would hear his voice and listen to his voice and obey his voice, the ground that we could take back, the type of church we could be. Have you ever had anybody mistake you for like um, uh, somebody else or they gave you this comment like, you remind me of da-da-da. You know, sometimes like a famous actor. Sometimes it's like a, a, a friend from their childhood. Like it's even their voice like, you remind me of Nick Stevens. You know, it's like somebody from, oh, they're the best person. Like, oh, good. You know, like, like you remind me of Felicia. Like, whoa, what did she do to you? And why do I remind you of her, you know? Um, I remember being... Uh, uh, a, a new uh, youth pastor, the guy at our church, he asked me to be uh, the JV coach of the basketball team. Thought he was asking me to be the coach of a uh, boys JV team. And I show up and it was girls basketball. He was the girls coach and he did not tell me that. Uh, and so I was like, I've never coached girls basketball and I fought with my sisters. I don't know if I'm the right guy for the job. And he goes, you're gonna love it. So I remember like becoming the JV uh, girls basketball coach, the youth pastor. Uh, nine out of the 11 girls got saved. It was an amazing thing. Uh, but I'll never forget um, uh, um, one uh, summer camp, this first summer camp, we went to basketball camp and um, they're like, you remind us from somebody on TV. And I was like, oh, well, who, you know? And they're like, Darwin from Wild Thornberries. So no cell phones were around. So I didn't know what it was. So I remember getting home and I remember Googling like, who is Darwin from Wild Thornberries? Is like, like a cartoon character? That guy has brown hair, kind of buff looking dude. Like, what's he look like? Here's what popped up on the screen. That's Darwin from Wild Thornberries. <laughs> I was so upset, and I started, like, going, like, and then you ask your friends, like, your real friends. You're like, hey, do I look, and they're like, a little bit. I'm like, what? What do you mean, a little bit? I did not enjoy being compared to Darwin from Wild Therabares. And then, you know, in my early 20s, um, I, I got this twice. Somebody said that I, I looked like this guy named Harry Connick Jr. I didn't know who that was either, and I remember Googling Harry Connick Jr., and so pop up Harry Connick Jr., and I was like, yeah, you know, and, and I, was, I, was, I was like, I look like Harry Connick, hold on, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, um, I want you to hear something real quick, the word Christian, how did it originate, here's what happened, these followers of the way were acting so much like Christ, they called them little Christ, and they're like, we, they remind us of the man who they, we, they just crucified and conquered the grave, they remind us of him so much that we have to call them a name, Christians. And so that verbiage in the early church was such a powerful thing to be called that you didn't even have to say, I'm a Christian. People would watch you and go, you remind me of somebody. You remind me of the Christ. And my prayer is that we would be a church and a people, that we would live life with people that they wouldn't even have to ask us if we were a Christian. They would just know by the way we love, the way we act, the way we serve, the way we respond, the, the kindness, the graciousness that we have, how we take God seriously, but not ourselves too seriously. We're not saying a bunch of Christian jargon. We just live a life that is magnetic and is bright and joyful. We make things better and brighter. Can I get an amen for that? So if we want to be that type of church, I think we have to look at two things. What it looked like to, to be a follower of Jesus in his day, and what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Today, today. So let's go back to Jesus' day. Now, there are three phases of childhood education in the Jewish um, time when Jesus was there. It was Beit Sefer, Beit Talmud, and Beit Midrash. There's three phases. Beit Sefer was the first one. At age six, uh, kids would go to um, Beit Sefer, and they would learn the Torah. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. It means teaching or the way. Uh, you also may know it as the Pentateuch. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. At the age of 10, 
These 10-year-olds will have now memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy word for word. Can I encourage you? Memorize a verse this week. Just, just one. Not asking a lot. Just one. Open up this big book and just one. So at age 10, they had all first five books memorized. And if you were the best of the best, you would graduate to uh, Beit Talmud. Beit Talmud from ages 10 to about 16, you would memorize the old writings. The old writings is Genesis through Malachi. Let me show you how much of the Bible that is. Word for word, this much of the Bible. They would memorize from ages 10 to 16. Again, can I encourage you? Go memorize a verse today, okay? So they would memorize the old writings. At age 16, if you were the best of the best of the best, you would graduate to Beit Midrash, to where you had the privilege of asking a rabbi that, that you could be their disciple. You may be asking, what happened to the ones that weren't the best of the best of the best, or the ones who weren't the best of the best? Those ones would be told, hey, go take up your family trade and be well. And so this is how the carpenters uh, uh, started. This is how the um, fishermen would start. So, so the ones that didn't make it to the bait uh, midrash, the best of the best of the best, they would go take over their family trade. But if you had the privilege of, of being in the bait midrash, you'd walk up to a rabbi. And how would you pick a rabbi? Well, you need to know something. These rabbis uh, would um, have this interpretation of scripture. And all these rabbis did not have the same exact interpretation of what Exodus was saying or the same interpretation of what Leviticus said. So each rabbi had a certain way they would interpret scripture, which led to a certain way they would live out scripture. So as a disciple, you'd be attracted to a certain rabbi by the way they would interpret scripture and live scripture. This um, term was called their yoke. And you would ask for their yoke to be on you. And so you'd walk up to a rabbi and you would say, can I be your disciple? You're not asking to learn from them and just be taught by them. You're asking, can I be just like you? Can I pray like you, walk like you, talk like you? I want to be a carbon copy of you. Can I do this? Now, the rabbi wanted to see if you had the moxie to become a disciple. So he would grill you with questions. Well, what does it say in Genesis 16 here? What does the writing say in uh, the, the minor prophets on this? They would ask verse after verse and they would grill them. And if the rabbi didn't think you had the moxie or what it took to be a disciple of his, he would tell you, go and be well, pick up your family tra trade and be blessed. But if he thought you actually had the moxie to be like him, he would say, follow me. And those two words, follow me, simply meant this. I see greatness in you. I see you in me. I see that you could be a great rabbi. I see that the, 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 the makings and the cocktail that's in your soul and in your DNA, that you can become a great rabbi one day also. It's the greatest endorsement to hear, follow me. So let's fast forward. Jesus stumbles on the scene. Peter is at his boat. I don't know when Peter flunked out of school. I don't know if he flunked out of Bait Selfair where they're like, you know what? At age 10, you're not the best of the best. Go and do your family trade of fishing and be well. Maybe he made it to Bait Talmud at age 16, but he didn't make it to Bait Midrash. I'm not sure, but he became a man who was told, go do your family trade and be well. And then Jesus, the great, great rabbi, sees Peter and says, follow me. Peter knows the weight of these words. He knows for the first time, a great rabbi sees greatness in him. And he says to Peter, I see greatness in you. Follow me, learn how to pray like me, live like me, love like me, conquer things like me. Peter drops his net and follows him at once. There was a term uh, in this uh, time when you would follow a, uh, 
uh, a rabbi. It was, said, it was said to be this. When you follow a rabbi, they would say, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. What that simply meant is there was actually a physical thing that would happen. When you followed a rabbi, the dust from their sandals would kick up and you followed so closely that it would cover your body. So whatever the, the rabbi was walking, it was getting on you. So it was a physical representation of what's supposed to happen spiritually in your life. And so Jesus walked with the disciples and they followed him so closely. They watched him love the scandalous. They watched him love the traitors and the tax collectors. They watched him love the poor. They watched him love the rich. They watched him rebuke the religious. They watched him prioritize prayer. They watched him conquer things that you never thought they could conquer. Not only that, do you know the moment where Jesus is walking on water and Peter says, Rabbi, if it's you, tell me to come. Because Peter understands what he signed up for. If you can do it, I can do it. If it's in you, it's going to be in me. And so the rabbi says, come. And because Jesus can walk on water, Peter goes, if I signed up for this rabbi and this is what he can do and I can do it, tell me to come. I want to see if I can do this also. And he starts walking on water. I want to ask you a question real quick. What kind of dust is on you right now? Who are you following? After a week or a month or a season of your life, when you live, there is a dust on you. And I'm concerned that too many people are dying carbon copies instead of originals where you are an echo of culture. You're an echo of a news station. You're an echo of a political party. The wrong dust has got in your life. And I'm here to encourage you. Jesus wants to dust you today, if you will. He wants to breathe on your life. He wants to shape you. He wants to mold you. He wants to teach you. He wants to free you. But he cannot free you from a distance. He will not teach you from a distance. He will not mold you from a distance. When he says, follow me, he's saying, I want your whole life. I want, I want your struggles, I want your shame, I want your successes, I want your bank account, I want your career. Here's the thing, some of you are like, Whoa. I'll never forget it. Rachel and I uh, were sitting down with a couple and we asked them, will you guys consider planning the church with us and helping us be on our team? And they came back at a dinner and they said, we're in. We're going to help you plant the church. And they said, um, this next week we're gonna go in and we'll quit our jobs, we're ready. And Rachel and I were like, what? Like, don't quit your job. We just want you to help out the kids' ministry on a Sunday. You know, set up here. Like, we, we didn't want to ask you to quit your job. We just asked you to want to come help us plant church. But they were processing that question of, will you forsake all and say yes? Some of you are confused right now by what I'm saying. Jesus is saying, follow me. And you're saying, I got to lose everything. I got to give up everything. You're going to come up to our service. Tyler, I quit my job. Cleared out my bank account. Got rid of my TV. And I'm going to say to you, why? Because you said, Jesus said, follow me. And I'm going to say, you didn't listen very well. Catch me real quick. Follow me is a spiritual posture more than anything else. When you walk into your job, are you following Jesus? When you walk into your marriage, are you following Jesus? When you walk into conflict, are you following Jesus? When you walk into your political process, are you following Jesus? When you walk into a school, are you following Jesus? When you walk into a success, are you following Jesus? Because if you're not following him in one of those areas of your life, you're not following somebody who's going to lead you to life. They're going to lead you to death. Please follow Jesus. Amen? Amen? So that's what it looked like to follow Jesus in his day. What would it look like to follow Jesus in our day? In our day. Very simply, what it looks like to follow Jesus today is you must learn how to listen to his voice and you must learn how to obey his voice. That's it. I want to show you three things 
Uh, and I, I believe that if you grab this foundational teaching today, it will set you up in a way to live a life that you never could have lived, receive things you never could have received, and redeem things you never could have redeemed. Uh, first one is you're gonna, you must value his voice. Second one, you must listen to his voice. Third one, you must obey his voice. Very, very simple today. Uh, you must value his voice. Um, you ever have lunch with somebody and you're there for an hour and a half and they talked the whole time, all 90 minutes. They're like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, blah, 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 blah. you're like, and then the hour and a half is over and you're like, whoo. And at the very end, they're like, this was amazing. We should do this again sometime. And you're like, it was? And they walk away like, that was the best lunch I've ever had. Oh yes, I just feel seen and heard, you know? We must be very careful that we don't do that to Jesus in our life. Sometimes we share with Jesus, I need this, I need this, I need this, and we walk away and just like, you didn't even let me speak yet. You didn't let me respond to what you're going through yet. You gave me your prayer list. Can I give you my leading list? Can I give you my redemptive list? Can I give you the things that will actually redeem your soul? If you would just listen to me, ooh, what could happen to your life? But some of us, we talk to God, but we never listen to God. Man, there, the power of prayer is found in the power of listening. And so, so um, that, that's one thought. Another thought I had was this. Um, Rachel and I, most marriage problems are listening problems. Most Christian problems are listening problems. Now, here's what I mean. Uh, I have been a marriage coach for a handful of marriages now. Rachel and I have been married for 11 years, and a married couple will come in, and uh, they'll, they'll start sharing uh, their frustrations, and the spouse will say, well, I said this, and then the spouse will be like, I didn't hear you say that. You didn't hear me, or were you not listening? You know, like that question. And then I'll go, I gotta get out of here. Um, uh, where's the, is this a parachute? I gotta get out, okay. Um, so, um, and then as I find out, one of their biggest frustrations is neither of them feel, feel heard by each other. Neither of them feel like the other one is listening to the other one. I'll share a technique I learned, and I will simply say, sometimes what helps is you, as a spouse says, I hear you saying this, and I want to make sure I hear you right. You want me to do this, and you value this. You repeat back what they said. And that's really what, like, memorizing Scripture is. God, I hear you say Scripture, and I want to repeat it back to you now. I want to, I want to re recite it back to you, because the most marriage problems are listening problems, and most follower problems is you don't know the word problems, okay? So, Another one is this. Have you ever been around a couple uh, where the spouse has learned how to tune out the other spouse? Like, uh, uh, I'm the, uh, newsflash, I'm the talker in the marriage, okay? I am the boop, 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 boop. Uh, now, Rachel, she can, she, she, she can get it rolling sometimes too, don't get me wrong. Um, um, uh, but but I, I, I'm, I'm always, always rolling. And so uh, we, Rachel and I both have found in our marriage that we have this look when we both checked out in a marriage uh, when we're talking. And it's like, so I'll be telling her, sharing a story. I'll be like, boop, 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 boop. And Rachel's face will be like this. And I'll be like, you plugged in the matrix. You have left the building, you know? And I'll be like, Rachel, what did I say? And she's like, you said, ah, ah, ah. And I'm like, Rachel. And she's like, okay, I'm listening. I'm like, okay. So I had my seven iron and the golf ball was right here. And I was hitting it to the green. And uh, like, I mean, so is, I would check out too. I get it. Um, but the reality is, is that the, the checking out is, is in marriage uh, those times, it's kind of cute. You know, it is, oh, it's kind of cute. We, we, we work through it. Uh, have you ever seen a kid tune out a parent when they start talking. You ever seen that? I heard some parents go, yep, mm-hmm. Pray from a pastor. Um, and uh, what happens there is, you know, the kid can be playing a video game, doing whatever, and the parent keeps on asking the kid to do something and something and something. And what's fascinating to me is that when you tune out the parent, a kid is actually gonna lose out on, I think, protection at times, a parent giving them wisdom. And so it can lead to some pain in their life. 
Now, there's some good times when somebody tunes things out. It's like an athlete um, tuning out like a, an away stadium where they're yelling at him. He just knows how to tune him out and just knows how to hit threes. His name's Steph Curry, okay? Um, he knows how to tune him out. And there's something about a gift, about knowing where to turn the volume down and where to turn the volume up. Some of you, you've, you've heard the lies of the enemy um, and the word of God. God said things thousands of times and you, you don't believe it. Enemy says something once and it becomes your identity. Can I encourage you? Turn down the enemy today and turn up the sound on Jesus. Turn up the sound on Jesus. Come on now. He wants to speak to you, and when Jesus speaks, you get free. When Jesus speaks, you get smarter. When Jesus speaks, you get kinder. When Jesus speaks, you get prettier. Come on now, all of the above. It changes who you are. Now, have you ever met the Christian that learned how to tune out God? Oh, the way a Christian tunes out God, it's, it's fascinating. Thomas Jefferson, I respect him. At least he like knew who he was. He was ripping pages out. Christians, we don't rip pages out anymore. We just ignore verses. Might as well rip it out because you ripped it out anyways. And so, so my, my prayer for you today is that as I teach on the value of his voice, it's not some of his voice, it's the totality of his voice. It says this in Genesis. I want to go back to creation, just show you what happens when Jesus speaks. When Jesus speaks, here's what happens. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then God said, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together in one place. Then God said, let light appear in the sky, separate the day from night. Then God said, let the water swarm and fish uh, um, and other life. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Ooh, I like that one. Uh, all the other ones, um, light, fish, animals. But when it came to us, he started talking to himself, started talking to the Trinity. When God starts talking to himself, watch out. Come on now. He started creating us in his image. Come on. It says this. Uh, so God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God, created them male and female. Because God spoke, now we have 8 billion people on this planet. Come on now. Just because God spoke. Then he said, be, then here's what, this is my favorite part. You ready to catch it? Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. You are a leader. You're a leader. Do not be afraid to lead. You are a standard bearer a standard bearer for our culture. You are not supposed to surrender the standard of the kingdom to culture. I, 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 uh, there's this man um, uh, in the Olympics, very famous, named Dick Fosbury. Uh, he changed the game with uh, the high jump. Everybody was jumping over the high jump like this, like literally just over the top. And then one day, uh, Dick Fosbury, Liddy, uh, tried this new technique where you jump, new technique and you fly over the bar, smashes it by feet. Starts a whole new standard, raises the bar in the Olympics, and to this day they call it the Fosbury Flop. And when I look at Christianity, I don't meet a lot of Christians that are raising the bar. I meet a lot of Christians that are figuring out ways to lower the bar. They're like, "What if we just did this? What if we What if we just rolled around a little bit? We didn't We didn't do much. Like Like, what if I went to church once a month? And 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 when and when I when I date my girlfriend, like like how far is too far? Like they're like processing like all these things of like how much can I sin but still have the blessing? Uh, can I tell you real quick? If you're processing how much you can sin and still have Jesus, you are looking at the wrong bar of your life. Come on, Jesus told you to govern, to lead. Raise the bar in your family. Raise the bar in your friendship. Raise the bar in your relationship. Just raise the bar. I'm not trying to raise the bar in religion. I'm saying start being the most loving person in your friendships. Start being the most kind person, the best listener, the best encourager. Start being the, the, the person that knows how to respond well to people. This world sucks at responding right now. Can you please be a great responder, amen? I said sucks. Some of you are offended. I forgive you. 
to the religious, I say, release that, whatever, I'm kidding. All right, so um, I want to give you a, a tool in the morning. I want to give you some practical handles on how to hear God speak to you uh, on a daily basis. So this is my morning routine right now. I added this, gosh, about a month ago, and it is wrecking me in all the right ways. So I wake up, I open my Bible, and with an earnest heart and an earnest prayer, because Jesus prayed with earnestness. He didn't pray with apathy. He was a, it was an earnest prayer. Uh, he would pray with, 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 with passion. And so with an earnest heart, I'll pray these things. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done in my life today. Another thing I'll pray is I renounce the world today. It says in Luke 14 that we must turn our back on the world. So, Lord, I turn my back on the world, and I turn my face towards the kingdom of God today. I will not live downstream. I'm going to live upstream. Another thing I pray is I bind the enemy. He will have no place in my family, in my life, in our church, in our house. I bind the enemy today. And then I'll go on to finish with this. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And I'll double down on that. I'll say, speak, Father. Your son is listening. And I'll open up my Bible, and I'll start to read. It's fascinating. I wanted to read 10 chapters a day. Uh, I've read the Bible five times in one year. One time, so I was like, I'm gonna read the Bible. Like, I'm gonna try to do like five to seven this time. And, and as I started reading the Bible, uh, I, I just felt impressed in my heart. The Lord was saying, I don't want um, quantity time. I want quality time. I, I don't want you to have a check mark of 10. I, I wanna speak to you. And so I'll be reading. And, and when, you, when, when you do this, I just wrote this down. Start to read the Bible and say these things, Father, your son is listening, and watch what the Holy Spirit begins to do. Watch him start illuminating scripture, showing you things you never saw. Uh, one of my favorite pastors always says this, you want to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. You know, just like there's just something about hearing God speak to you through his word. Now, I, I believe God still speaks today. I, I believe that what it says in Joel, you know, there, there was a prophecy in Joel that, that, that uh, there would come a time where he'd pour his spirit and, 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 and young men would dream, dream, old men would dream dreams and young men would have visions. I mean, literally it tells all, all these things are pouring out. I believe God speaks today. But if you're reading more prophecy websites than you are the Bible, there's a problem. If you, are, if you are sharing more prophecy than you are sharing scripture, uh, there might be a little imbalance there. I want to encourage you. If you are a prophet, you better know this thing better than, better than anybody else. Because prophets in the Old Testament had to know the Bible perfectly. Because if they didn't, the enemy would know how to use them and spin them up in wrong ways. Know the word of God. Period. Thanks, Mike T. Um, so we, need, we must learn how to value his voice. Value his voice. I'm telling you, there's no other voice that breaks chains, no other voice that redeems. Oh, I pray that you value his voice. Second thing we must do if we want to be a follower is you must listen to his voice. You must listen, so you value it, now you need to listen to it. Um, so the sin you struggle with, sin is not an action that must be stopped. It's a condition that must be healed. So, so a lot of you look at your sin as an action that I just need to stop. I'm angry, I need to stop the action of anger. I'm lustful, I just need to stop being lustful. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm greedy, I need to stop being greedy. The problem is, is that the Bible shows that sin is never an action. It's actually a condition. And, and one of the pictures the Bible shows is that sin is like yeast. Jesus shares the picture. It's like yeast that spreads. But then Paul also doubles down in Corinthians and says, watch out for this sin to spread throughout the church because it's like yeast that will destroy everything. What is yeast? What's the nature of yeast? When yeast goes into bread, it helps it rise. But yeast left unchecked, left being stopped, it will literally eat all the sugar out of the bread and it will make it unedible and literally hard and destroy it. So yeast will destroy what is supposed to be good into something bad. So the Lord's saying, when sin comes in your life, anger, when, when lust comes in your life, when, when, when greed, when um, narcissism, pride, religion, whatever comes in your life, it comes in like a little bit of yeast. And you can say, it's just a little bit of yeast. But the problem is, is that the Bible shows that if you don't deal with it, it will spread throughout your whole life and it will eat up all the goodness and destroy everything you hold dear. 
Now, if that was my message, that would be a really sad part of the message. But what if we had a cure for this sin? Because some of you, if I'm just being honest, you picture sin like a DoorDash order. You go on DoorDash, you're like, what do I feel like today in my sin? Okay. Uh, like, and I do this sometimes like on DoorDash. i be like, do I want um, Asian food, Mexican food, or pizza? So I'll just type on pizza. I'm like, ooh, we're going to do pizza today, you know? Well, I feel like sometimes spiritually, you look at sin the same way. Does that make sense? The pizza thing? Um, um, I wouldn't say I'd do that with sin. Like, I go on my laptop. I'm like, what sin should I do today? Um, but when I go on DoorDash, I feel like this DoorDash... I mean, Rachel Dahl, DoorDash, Amazon, uh, uh, delivering Whole Foods. I mean, I very rarely go to stores now. I love delivery. Um, but I think what happens when you live in a consumer culture, you think everything is you shopping and buying and stopping. But the reality is, is we don't shop for sin and then leave sin there. The Bible shows that sin is not something we shop for. Sin is something that crashes the door and wants to master us and destroy us. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. So sin is really small. It starts like yeast. Bible says that the word of God is like a seed. Old Testament says that his word is health to our flesh, literally medicine for our soul. It's medicine. His word is medicine for our soul in, in Psalms. So this little seed, when the word goes out, literally the picture it shows that your heart is like soil. And if the seed takes root, it will blossom things in your life, tenfold, fiftyfold, hundredfold, things that are impossible for you to do and transform you in a way that you never could think. Now, now just catch this picture. Um, Tim Keller shares this beautiful story about this, um, this graveyard in London where this duke had this massive marble thing from here to almost the end of the stage. Massive, massive marble thing. Super thick. And one little acorn seed dropped in the crack of the marble. And years passed. And as the years passed, this acorn took root and it literally birthed a tree outside the marble and literally shattered the marble. And now the marble is just pieces around it. And people come to just see what this one tree did to this massive piece of marble. The picture of the word of God in your life is when you allow the word of God to get into your life, it will go past the cracks of anger and the cracks of lust and the cracks of greed and the cracks of shame, and it will get to your heart. And if you allow it, it will sprout and start shattering the things that are shattering you. It will start overcoming the things that are overcoming you. It will start making you the identity, the identity you used to have in your past. Now the identity of your life is fruitful and kind and prosperous. Can I just tell you real quick, if you don't like prosperity or abundance um, or opulence, do not read the Bible. Because our God loves to be prosperous, uh, loves for us to be prosperous. Even right now, you're like, Todd, did you just become a prosperity preacher? Relax. There is only one gospel. There is not a prosperity gospel. There's not a poverty gospel. There is the gospel. And it is good news. And the good news is that God came to give you an abundant life. He wants seeds to take root and give you abundance of joy and abundance of love. And the only way that happens is not only if we listen to his word, but we obey his word. I invite the worship team to come up. So you must listen to his voice, but also you must obey his voice. I wrote this, uh, actually, this is a William Barclay uh, quote. The greater the obedience, the greater the blessing. The greater the obedience, the greater the blessing. I was reading Genesis, and forgive me, I, my, my theology was not great with uh, Abraham's life. I always thought he was blessed because he believed God. I always thought because he believed God, he got everything. So you, you see, you know, God say, hey, leave everything, and I'm going to do this. And so, you know, Genesis 15, it says that Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited him as righteous. But I always thought that was the moment where God goes, done, done. Everything, I'm going to bless everything, I'm going to bless you, da, da, da. But then you read the story of Abraham, you'll see here in Genesis 22. It says, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have 
obeyed me. Everybody say obeyed. Genesis 26 says this. Verse four, I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky and I will give them all these lands and through your descendants and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. Can I just tell you real quick? You are saved because you believed, but you are blessed because you obeyed. There is, there is a blessing in the obedience. There is a blessing of listening and then practicing, listening and implementing. The world has enough information. The problem with the church is not information. It's impartation. It's actually application. We don't apply what God has told us to do. So I'm glad you got the information, but if you're not, uh, uh, there's not application, we're in trouble. So where does that leave us? The word's very, very simple. What does it look like to apply the word of God? I think one of the best pictures is Matthew 7. It says, a wise man is like a man who builds his life on the rock. So when you build your life, are you building it on scripture? Are you building it on selfishness or culture, whatever? But when you build it on scripture, it says that storms will come. We've noticed it's been a stormy season in our world, amen? But the ones who build their life on scripture, on his word, that follows word, says storms will come and they will still stand. We had an earthquake this week. Who felt the earthquake? I, I, I barely felt it. I, I ran anyways just in case because my watch went off. Um, it's so funny, like the watch and phones went off after the earthquake, like take cover, earthquake. You're a dollar short and a day late, okay? Like, thanks Siri, you smashed it again, you know? Um, so, so the earthquake's going and Brandon's sitting there at the table, our creative director, and, and, um, and I run to the doorframe like a manly man, like, whoa, you know, I get the doorframe and Brandon's like just typing still, you know, he's like, and I was like, I was like, like, maybe I shouldn't say that. Like, am, I the, am I the only one that would want to go to a doorframe at this moment? And I started processing just the building we were in, and I wrote this down. You never care about the integrity of a structure until it is tested. You don't, you, you don't think about it. You walk into a building, you're not thinking about like, is this thing built to sustain a 5.6? Is this thing built to sustain a 7.7? You don't think about the integrity of a structure until it's being tested. And you pray and you hope that it has the integrity and strength to withstand the storm that has come to that building. There's this verse in Hebrews that says this, that God is gonna shake everything that can be shaken to reveal what can't be shaken. And I wanna share something, I'm not trying to get too weird on you, but I, I believe it's prophetic for the season we're in. God is shaking things up, amen? He's not shaking to punish us, because here's what happens when things get shaken. When things get shaken, it reveals the things that you do need and it reveals things that you thought you need, but you didn't need at all. And so what happens in an earthquake happens in a spiritual quake. An earthquake can look like a health report. An earthquake can look a, like a political climate in a region. An earthquake can look like a war in Israel. An earthquake can look like COVID in 2020. It can look like um, racial tension in our nation, political tension in our nation. I, I, I have a pastor that uh, I'm very fond of, been able to learn from him. He oversees thousands of churches and part of his mandate he feels is to restore pastors. And he was restoring about four to six pastors a year in his movement. And he shared at this thing I was at that it went from four to six a year to 10 to 15 a month. And I felt this conviction in my soul. These men have fell to lust, fell to greed, fell to burnout, fell to pride because there was a shaking and their structure was not there to actually withstand the shaking of the climate of the house. I, I wanna encourage you real quick. There's a shaking in the Bay Area and people are hoping and praying 
that there's a person that has the integrity, the character, and the strength to stand the test of all the shaking. And I'm praying, I'm praying that I could be a pastor. I'm rooting for everything to get better, for everybody just to be nice, for the political tension to just die down, for people not to hate other people because they have a simple view. I'm praying that it becomes just a kind climate in our nation again and people chill out. That's what I'm praying for. But if that doesn't happen and God allows more shaking, I'm praying that you can stand strong. I'm praying that when hate is shaking, that love stands strong. I'm praying that when political division is shaking, that the unity and that you are team Jesus more than your team Republican or team Democrat, it stands strong. I'm praying that when betrayal happens, that forgiveness stands strong. I'm praying that when, when greed and self-pleasure start shaking, that integrity and selflessness stand strong. I'm praying that when people are shouting at the rooftops, ideologies and culture, ways of streaming going this way, that you would stand strong and say, no, I follow one. I have decided. I'm living, I'm living this way. And if I'm dying, I'm dying this way. I pray and believe that we'd be a church that follows Jesus on the good days and the shaking days. Woo! And if we do, watch what happens to the Bay Area. Would you bow your heads? I'm not sure if it's your first time or second time in church. We prayed for you this morning. We prayed that the person that was on the fence, that was maybe not gonna come to church, that you would feel a tug on your heart and that Holy Spirit would tug on your heart and would walk you through these doors and that you would find Jesus today and you'd be saved. Today was for you. We prepared part of service just for you. So if you wanna say yes to salvation, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing, you wanna confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you wanna be saved, there must be a response. And the way we respond here is we raise our hand and say, Jesus, I say yes to following you. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed on the count of three, you wanna say yes to Jesus, raise your hand and catch my eye. One, two, three, raise it up. I see you and I see you, that's a great decision. I see you in the very, very back, God bless you. My left, your right, I see you on my left, come on now, God bless you. My right, your left, I see you, come on now, God bless you, come on. We prayed for you this morning. I raised my hand at age 16 and it changed my life. I want you to know as you raise your hand today, you might become a pastor one day, joke's on you. God, I thank you for the salvations this morning. I thank you for the people that said yes to you. God, here's what I love. Our past does not define us. Our, our shame does not define us. Your promises and redemption is what defines us. We find our identity in the words of our Savior, that we are blessed, that we are loved, that we are known, and we are called. God, we love you, we love you. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.